Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Market Bites. I'm Sam. And I'm Josh. And we're here to break down three of the hottest financial events that happened this week, so you can keep your finger on the pulse, on your way to work, at the gym, wherever and whenever you have time to get updated. Please remember that this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Stay tuned for additional disclosures at the end of today's episode. So, are you ready? Here we go. Hello everyone, I hope you're doing well and getting ready for 2024 here at eToro. We have you covered. So get your notepads out, feel free to ask us questions in the chat. And if you're watching on YouTube, please do remember to like, share and subscribe. But let's get into it. We've titled this one, Time to Rebalance. For those that do not know, my name is Sam North and I'm an analyst in the UK and co-host of the Digest and Invest podcast series. And I am joined by three eToro all-timers. From left to right, as you see it on the screen, Callie Cox, our wonderful US investment analyst, Josh Gilbert, our amazing Australian analyst and my amazing co-host on Digest and Invest. And also the hardest working man at eToro, Ben Laidler, who is our global market strategist and also the host of The Daily Voice. It's been an absolute belter of a year for a lot of assets. Can it continue into 2024? We're about to find that out. But Ben, first of all, what happened in 2023? Yeah, what actually happened? Uh, So stock markets went up a lot. In many cases, um, in many ways, really wrong footing the bearish consensus. And this performance was dominated by the losers of last year. So basically crypto and tech, which have ended up standing head and shoulders above most other asset classes and sectors this year. And the two big macro drivers, I think, of this, the two big surprises have been firstly that we're not in a recession that the consumer has been very resilient and labor markets have been very strong. And secondly, that inflation has plunged to the three-ish percent level and that this has allowed central banks to step back from the dramatic interest rate hikes that we've seen on both sides of the Atlantic over the last uh, year and a half. Uh, As always, you know, plenty else going on under the surface Uh, We saw the rise of NVIDIA. We saw the rise of AI and artificial intelligence, the so-called Magnificent Seven, you know, big tech stocks, which have seen their profits soar over 50% this year, uh, through to the big winners and losers from the weight loss drug adoption story, from Nordisk and Eli Lilly through to uh, the fast food and snack stocks on the other side. Um, Maybe we'll just flip the slide here. Um, I just wanted to really show you the performance numbers so far this year up on the left-hand side. Um, you can see you know, all the nice green numbers at the top, but it hasn't all been rosy. If you look down the bottom, you know, China again has been the big disappointment. Uh, US banks never really recovered from the sort of March bankruptcy scare. And I should probably also put on here the renewable stocks, which have also been you know, some of the big disappointments of this year. Yeah, thanks, Ben. I, I guess now moving on to 2024 and, and how are we feeling uh, about the returns there? Optimistic, not optimistic? I mean, are there maybe more broadening returns on the horizon? 
Yeah, so I think it's going to be a decent year, but I think the two big macro stories are going to be firstly this diverging economic growth outlook. So the US grew nearly 5% last quarter, about as far from recession as it's possibly to get, and it will only slow from here as these 5% interest rates finally catch up with the economy. It should be a soft landing with the labor market still uh, pretty resilient. And if I'm wrong, I do think the US Fed now has the flexibility to cut rates and potentially sort of have your back. But Kelly's going to get into that in a lot more detail you know, in a second. But, you know, here in Europe, we're already flirting you know, with recession, you know, already. And if we look to China, the authorities are finally providing some policy support to keep the economy growing at these sort of four or five percent levels. But secondly, the implications of these generally weaker and slowing economies is that inflation will keep falling. And I think in the first half of the year, we're going to see inflation come decisively under three percent, well on track towards that sort of magic two percent inflation target number that most central banks have. And I think this will give them the confidence to start cutting interest rates, at least in Europe and the US, uh, by the middle of next year. Clearly, there are plenty of risks around that. I guess the two I would just flag, one is this very heavy election calendar that we have next year, you know, bookended by Taiwan in January, all the way through to the sort of big one, which is the US uh, in November. But I wouldn't necessarily overdo that. I think the lesson from the last couple of years is we've had a lot of macro and geopolitical uncertainty and markets have just learned to live with it. Um, I think the other big risk, maybe more obviously, is just inflation and central banks. Central banks are very data dependent. That makes us hostage to just the latest data points. Uh, it can generate quite a lot of volatility. But inflation remains the most important number you know, in markets. If I'm wrong and it doesn't keep drifting lower, then the market will need to rethink its outlook for coming interest rate cuts. Um, so what does this mean for markets? I think this is an outlook for a soft landing. I think it's an outlook for interest rate cuts. Both of those things are positive. I think the bigger call, though, is going to be when do you get out of the assets that have worked so well this year, namely US stocks and big tech? And when do you look at um, the smaller, cheaper, more out of favor parts of the world that have been the big, big laggards, but are the most interest rate sensitive assets, which is what I see as the big trigger for this year. So things like Europe, uh, things like real estate, when is that big rotation uh, going to happen? Um, maybe we just go to the next slide, just to put this in some perspective. These are the results of an online investor poll we just did on the 2024 outlook. Maybe starting on the top left, you can see how bullish investors are, uh, especially on crypto, but also on stocks. On the right hand side, you know, what are the favorite markets around the world? Maybe unsurprisingly, uh, the US, but investors definitely being contrarian, you know, on China. Was the worst performing market, a uh, big market in the world this year. On the sectors on the bottom left, tech maybe unsurprisingly dominates, but there's a really healthy number also looking at some of these cheaper, more out of favor sectors like banks and oil 
And then finally, just down the right, bottom right, you can just see of the major themes, uh, crypto uh, really dominates that thematic outlook. Thank you very much, Ben. For those that are on the podcast, remember you can click the link in the bio to to view on, on YouTube. And for you people out there listening on YouTube, if you disagree with any of this, this is now the time to speak up in the comments and let us know. Now let's move over to the US. And, and, and Callie, how are you feeling about it at the moment? I imagine a lot sort of is, is weighing on the well, what they do with the rate cut situation, but overall positive. Yeah. So, Sam, when I think about the U.S. market and the U.S. economy going into 2024, I've said this a lot, but it feels like we're all looking at a Rorschach test. And when I say a Rorschach test, I mean this ink blot that psychologists make you look at in certain situations and they ask you to tell you what you see and they tell you to walk through the process. Um, You know, why do you see what you see? Uh, You explain it. But I say all that to say, you know, we look at we're looking at markets in the economy Investors see different things than economists. Investors see rate cuts in 2024. Economists see a slowing economy. And both are equally important, right? I mean, the economy, the stock market is driven by the economy and profits. But in 2024, you have to realize that only one can win out when it comes to your portfolio. And it may be rate cuts. It may be the rate cut trade. So let's talk about risks first, because Ben brought up a lot of them. Um, The biggest risk I see is the chance for a recession. There's still a lot of pressure on the economy. Interest rates are still quite high, even though people are looking forward to cuts. Uh, The place that you have to watch uh, for signs of a recession is the job market. Um, In the U.S., uh, the U.S. economy, 70% of the U.S. economy is consumer spending. So the job market matters a lot. When people have money, they're going to spend it and they're going to invest it. Uh, So a recession could be in sight for 2024. But the kicker is that markets may care more about rate cuts. Uh, And as Ben mentioned, too, the Fed, the central bank over here in the U.S., is much more willing to step in and help now, now that inflation has come down further to our 2% target, uh, if the U.S. economy hits a recession. And what that means for you as an investor is that If we do hit a recession, the reaction could be more mild because that market expectation for the Fed to come in and cut rates more may be there. So where does it leave us, right? We're all looking at the same inkblot. Investors see something different than economists. Well, focus on the rate cuts. Focus on the rate cut trade. Look at quality risk or companies that are able to survive a recession within those more uh, high duration rate sensitive sectors. Uh, And I I meant to mention this too. I mean, you know, looking at uh, the economy does matter too. Uh, You know, a recession is still a significant event and it can hit a lot of smaller, speculative, unprofitable companies hard. So this isn't your sign to pile back into risk, but it is your sign to think about the fact that prices could move higher we see rate cuts, if investors feel confident that the economy can make it through a mild recession. You just have to be picky. I mean, as Ben said earlier, the biggest call of markets in 2024 is not where prices go, but it's the style and the sectors you invest in. We actually got a sneak peek of that in November. Uh, uh, Sam, if you don't mind flipping to the next slide. Yeah, so this is a shot of high duration sectors versus low duration sectors and their performance so far in 2023. So as you can see, high duration sectors, and when I say high duration, I mean sectors that are expected to uh, take a little bit longer to accumulate profits because 
remember, as investors, we are shareholders in companies and we are uh, we are um, entitled to a percentage of the profits of the companies we invest in. So investing is all about profits, right? And high duration sectors just take a little bit longer to get those profits under their belt. Uh, because of that, they are a little bit riskier and they are a little bit more sensitive to higher rates. But as you can see, rates have stayed high throughout 2023, yet these high duration sectors have driven a lot of the market's gains. And we saw that in November, you know, right after the Fed had its meeting in uh, on November 1st, where, you know, Powell stepped out and said for, you know, a third straight time, you know, we're seeing progress in inflation. We feel uh, pretty good about the soft landing still. Um, you know, we are willing to be flexible if the economy starts to crack. We saw those high duration sectors pick up once again. Um, when I say high duration sectors, I mean tech, communication services, healthcare, real estate, um, those are the types of sectors that could be in focus when people look at the rate cut trade. So to sum it all up, uh, it's a Rorschach test. Uh, you're probably going to see another year of the economy acting one way and markets acting another way. Get used to it. We live in strange times, but you have to think about that weird dynamic when you're choosing what to invest in. Absolutely. Bring on 2024 after that. I feel raring to go. Josh, uh, we called this section... Feast versus famine. Crypto tech have obviously done pretty, pretty good. Uh, China, not so much. How are you seeing it now and then into next year? Yeah, well, firstly, I mean, what a year it has been for tech. Um, I mean, that good. We even had a rebrand. Uh, we've rebranded to the Magnificent Seven now and and Magnificent. Uh, they have been this year. Ben sort of touched on it briefly uh, at the start. They've single-handedly driven sort of S&P 500 returns this year with huge earnings growth, you know, 57% in the third quarter. And that has helped to sort of really support what is now pretty lofty valuations. And a big part of that growth has obviously come thanks to AI, the sort of the buzzword on Wall Street this year. And, and that's been evident in sort of recent earnings from the likes of NVIDIA, who is sort of the poster boy really of uh, AI. Uh, and I think what's been really important for this year and, and is going to be really important going into next year is that AI isn't just a Wall Street hype, um, but it is clearly a revolutionary technology that is continuing to make big tech some serious cash and, and will continue to heading into sort of 2024 because use cases are exploding um, and AI spending is is going a long, long way. And I think Microsoft and NVIDIA are two names right at the front of that and have, and have really started to sort of show that off. And sort of with big tech and tech itself, given their size, their cash balances, their overall sort of solid fundamentals, uh, investors like owning these companies um, and they like owning them, particularly in periods of economic uncertainty because of those reasons that I've just sort of mentioned. And I think that is likely to be sort of evident in the early part of 2024, as investors look for that sort of defensive growth. But obviously, we've spoken a fair bit there about those sort of sectors to, to sort of focus on and sort of how we rebalance and, and sort of when to look to sort of rebalance. So although tech has led in 2024, that may not be the case in 2023, if we do start to see that rebalancing and that sort of slight uh, shuffling of sort of portfolios uh, as well. But I think it's really important to remember um, that, you know, we, if we're talking about a rotation um, and then the closer that we get to those, those, to those rate cuts, um, as I say, we're going to sort of see, you know, that rotation possibly into those cheaper and more depressed businesses, um, rather those 
with the sort of the higher valuations. Um, and then crypto, you know, really it, you know, has sort of stolen the limelight. My headline for crypto was that it was the limelight for the year ahead, but it's pretty much stolen that limelight um, and, and maybe stolen enough of crypto to sort of end 2023. Um, what a year it's sort of been back with a vengeance and a rebound that I think will sort of go down uh, in the record books. You know, Bitcoin up over 150% uh, this year alone, a start performance from what we've seen sort of last year. And I think that performance that we've seen from Bitcoin this year and sort of crypto as a whole, I think it's a really nice reminder that crypto does have a place in a diversified investment portfolio. Um, whatever time horizon that we sort of look at for Bitcoin, risk-adjusted returns for Bitcoin are dramatically higher than any other asset class. I think that's really, really important. And why has that asset class outperformed? Why has Bitcoin outperformed this year? And really into sort of the, the last sort of three months of this year, it's coming from what was obviously a heavily depressed asset class in 2022 when investor sentiment was, was sort of severely down. Less bad news has gone a long way in that sense. But the big driver is this growing expectation that we will see a US spot Bitcoin ETF accepted in January next year. Uh, and essentially, investors are positioning for that ahead of time. Um, and why is that important? Well, ETF approvals could open the door for trillions of dollars of assets to flow into Bitcoin and other crypto assets in the future as well. We've recently had BlackRock apply for an Ethereum ETF as well. So uh, again, trillions of dollars of institutional capital that's sort of at play. And, and I think that is what crypto is sort of so long for. We also have that sort of improving macro environment that we've covered off already with obviously this growing expectation that the Fed cuts uh, interest rates early in 2024. Uh, and interestingly, when we did um, this sort of outlook in uh, Q3, we sort of spoke to retail investors um, being sort of most bullish on on crypto heading into Q4. And I think that's retail investors proving their astuteness once again, and they've been rewarded for that bullishness as well. So that's really important. And outside of those couple of catalysts there, I think there's plenty to look forward to. Um, we have a Bitcoin halving in April, which is imperative. I'll touch on that a little bit more in a moment. And then we have new US accounting uh, regulations as well, which will make it easier to hold crypto assets as well. Um, and of course, a maturing industry with use cases continuing to grow and then finally the, the sort of the negative um is is obviously china i've had two positive and i should arguably talk about um that sort of disappointment now but look china had a great start to the year in 2023 solid first quarter that quickly faded by the second quarter investor and consumer confidence started to waver uh, and then we saw sort of property uh, and exports sort of disappoint as well but again this is a time to sort of talk about that rebalancing uh, and we're talking about unloved and we're talking about maybe cheap uh, areas of the market. And I think China may be on that list. Uh, and I think a little less bad news will go a long, long way in 2024 for China. And that less bad news starts with an economy that seems to be showing signs of stabilizing. Support has been rolled out by policymakers. And although that support is maybe not shining through right now, I believe it will begin to bear fruit 
in 2024. Um, and the other good side to this as well is that we should start to see corporate profits uh, coming back in 2024. Thanks to that policy support that we are seeing. And that should really help to boost earnings growth uh, by double digits uh, in China next year. Um, and finally, it's really important, though, to mention that there are still risks in the economy. Um, and, and I think that's been evident this year. If this sort of stabilization that I've mentioned and that recovery in, say, real estate takes a little bit longer to materialize than maybe expected, we could maybe see a bit of a slower start to the year. But I think equities have really started to price in plenty of bad news. Um, valuations really do represent those negatives. Um, the MSCI China index is trading at nine times forward earnings. That's well below its 20-year uh, average um, and is much lower than the 17 times forward earnings for the MSCI world index as well. So uh, cheap and unloved and, and maybe on the watch list for investors in 2024. Uh, and Sam, if you could just flick to the next slide. Um, this is just to, to sort of really talk to, to sort of crypto. We we sort of mentioned um, earlier that sort of crypto assets are the focus for investors heading into 2024. And I think there is sort of no wonder. And, and I want to point towards Bitcoin's sort of four-year cycle, which has followed since its inception um and a big part of this cycle comes from the sort of the bitcoin halving that takes place roughly every four years and it reduces the the mining reward and it eventually caps supply and that is creating scarcity for this assets and investors are positioning for the year ahead. Um, we've spoken about it, but retail investors are smarter than ever before. They're more significant to markets than ever before. Um, and I think that the halving will be a really, really important event that investors are sort of eyeing. And I think that's why we saw this accumulation phase throughout this year and why we've seen 150% gain uh, this year. And, and sort of since its inception, each Bitcoin halving, as you can sort of see from that table on the screen there, has been key for market performance. Um, so look, history doesn't repeat itself, but it, it does often rhyme. It does often rhyme. I think if I had a time machine, I'd be going back to 2013 and buying Bitcoin. Blimey, look at that. Uh, we don't have a time machine. And unfortunately, we don't have a crystal ball as well. But we do have Ben Laidler. So uh, 2024 summary, Ben, how are you feeling about it? Yeah, so I guess pulling it all together, what does this mean for portfolios? I think it's going to be a positive year. I think that's going to be led by crypto stocks, uh, real estate and bonds. And I think at the bottom of that leaderboard, if we're sitting here in a year's time, I wouldn't be surprised to see you know, the US dollar, commodities and cash. Um, that will make it a very different year to this year. Um, we're going to have less economic growth. We're going to have lower interest rates. But also, maybe surprisingly, I think we could see higher earnings growth with AI adoption really uh, broadening out and this lower inflation story giving some relief to company uh, profit margins. Now, you know, this positive for stocks, I think, is you know, the bigger call is going to be that rotation from those teddy bear assets in the US and tech to you know, the more depressed, more interest rate sensitive assets. Um, you know, whether that's real estate, whether that's Europe. Um, timing that, I think, is going to be key. It may just be a quick case of maybe dribbling money in over the next few months as we get closer to that big catalyst, which is that first rate cut. And as we get through, you know, one of the risks, which is that we still have most of that U.S. economic slowdown ahead of us and not behind us. 
Um, but you know, these are smaller assets. So a little bit of money coming out of the US, a little bit of money coming out of tech could go a very long way in some of those smaller, more depressed and cheaper uh, asset classes. Um, looking elsewhere, I mean, slower growth, lower inflation, uh, lower interest rates, that will start, I think, to cut into the attraction of cash, which was one of the big winners this year with something like a trillion dollars of inflows you know, in the US. It should also help bonds, which have just had probably a third down year, which, if confirmed, would be uh, the first you've ever seen. So I think the outlook for lower inflation, slower growth, and those technicals sets bonds up you know, for a better year. Um, I think lower interest rates and more broadly, a, a stronger market outlook will also undermine the attractiveness of the US dollar, which has also got quite expensive. And I think some dollar stabilization or weakness would be a big relief to a lot of hard pressed currencies you know, around the world, really led by uh, the Japanese yen. It would also be a little bit of relief to commodities and set them up for maybe a slightly less bad year than they've had this year. But I still see a number of headwinds there, particularly the slowdown uh, in the US. I think tech trends are going to remain um, very important, even if tech stocks are going to be a little bit less dominant next year as they were uh, this year. And crypto looks very well placed with a long list of positive catalysts, which uh, Josh mentioned. Uh, and it's still by far the smallest, youngest and most retail dominated of all those asset classes. Um, maybe we'll just go to the next slide just to illustrate this with a couple of a uh, couple of pretty pictures and, and, and charts. On the left-hand side, uh, this is our best guess of um, what that performance ranking is going to be like uh, for this year. Crypto and stocks at the top, uh, the US dollar commodities cash uh, towards the bottom. And on the right-hand side there, you can just see you know, this dramatic performance gulf this year within the S&P 500 between those magnificent seven stocks, which have driven all performance, and the other 493, which have basically done nothing. I would expect this to narrow, you know, next year and maybe even uh, flip uh, a little bit with tech stocks treading water a little bit and uh, the other 493 stocks getting a chance to put in a slightly better performance. Yeah, well, thank goodness they're involved in the S&P 500 this year, is what I would say. Let's bring this up again next year. And remember, if you're in the comments, do let us know if you agree with this, disagree with this, have any other questions to go. I've got six questions for these three. Uh, we're going to go through them. We'll aim for a, a minute each. Kelly, I'm coming to you first uh, and thinking about next year. Where do small caps fit in for you? I mean, they didn't have the best 2023. They did not have the best 2023. In fact, they had the worst year versus large caps, or excuse me, second worst year versus large caps since 1998. So small caps are enjoying a bit of a pop right now, uh, given the rate cut trade. But yeah, the big question is, what will they do going into 2024 after such a disastrous year capped off by a strong rally? And Sam, you know, quite honestly, going back to, you know, the biggest call being the sector or style you invest in, I think you still have to be picky with small caps. I mean, small caps have two things going for them right now. They are very focused on the U.S. economy. They get more of their revenues from um, U.S. clients and suppliers. Uh, and they're very sensitive to interest rates because they typically hold more debt than the average 
large cap company. So, you know, thinking about the rate cut trade, small caps are obviously benefiting from that. You know, lower rates in the future could mean less pressure on small cap balance sheets. But at the same time, small caps are still exposed to the economy and a recession is still a risk. So I think there's a point where you can rotate into small caps. We just have to see a little bit more relief in the form of lower rates and a job market that potentially reverses course. Thank you. Josh, uh, an area that has also struggled this year is lithium miners. Um, do you see 2024 being a bit better? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. It's, it's not been a good year at all um, for lithium miners, uh, particularly those listed on on the ASX, given Australia's huge exposure to lithium. Obviously, the lithium price this year is also sort of struggled. Um, and that is the, the main reason that lithium miners have struggled, because the fall in lithium prices over the last year has really sort of hurt margins but demand for lithium um is high and, and we've actually just ha- had a recent conversation with uh the founder of vulcan energy um who are sort of a, a big player in the lithium space and dr francis wedding said uh, in in that interview that uh, essentially lithium is the key ingredient uh, because it is irreplaceable in electric uh, vehicles uh, and in batteries. Um, And that means that we're probably going to see supply deficits in place until 2030. And we're seeing EV sales growing at around 25% each year led by China. So we're going through a really difficult period at the moment. And I do think that lithium miners have a bright future ahead, given what I've just sort of mentioned. Uh, But ultimately, for the time being, their fortunes are tied to lithium prices. If spot prices continue to decline next year, we may see further pain. But if they do stabilize, potentially in line with sort of China's recovery that we've mentioned, uh, they may be set up for a more positive year. Thank you. Ben, uh, your first question now. Uh, how to incorporate different asset views into a balanced, maybe 60-40 style portfolio? Yeah, so diversification is is always absolutely crucial. The question is just sort of how you do it. Uh, a lot of this obviously depends on, on your individual risk profile, your age, and all your sort of personal characteristics mm. but um you know that 60 40 portfolio you allude to is you know typically 60 40 60 percent stocks 40 percent bonds that gives you a sort of natural diversification why because stocks and bonds have very different drivers they have different risk profiles and their prices crucially if you look in the very long term you know don't move together so they can be very very useful for uh, diversification and i think Investors should take a, a new look, if you like, at uh, this sort of 60-40 or whatever that mix may be. But that mix of stocks and bonds, we've just come off three years of bond underperformance. I think bonds will have a better year next year. And I think stocks you know, will also, uh, will also do well. So again, diversification is always key. You should be kicking the tires on your portfolio on a regular basis to make sure you have the right mix of uh, sort of risk and return. And I think you know, part of that may be uh, a look at that sort of stocks versus bond mix, and 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 Kelly, in in terms of themes for next year, are there any uh, to keep an eye on? Yeah, so a lot has been said about AI, right? Of course, um, you know we saw that AI was the big surprise of 2023, and I think moving into 2024, AI still still could be a big talking point. Uh, But the investment part might look a little different. Um, Of course, AI, the Magnificent Seven was boosted uh, by optimism around AI this year. But 
the trade is mo- has been moving into chapter two in a way. Um, you know, Magnificent Seven is quite expensive. And while it could rally further, there is some skepticism around where the growth really is in the AI trade. So, you know, look at the picks and shovels of AI, the suppliers to AI companies, um, you know, the old tech stocks that could be beneficiaries from the boom in AI, um, you know, semiconductors as well. Of course, that trade is a little hot uh, but semiconductors are a great example of, you know, a pick and shovel of the AI trade because, you know, AI powers itself off of chips. So, you know, look at AI, but, you know, to cap things off, Sam, I'd also say look at the millennials. I mean, Taylor Swift was so big this year and for good reason. I mean, millennials and younger Americans have been doing quite well broadly in this economy. Look toward the fastest growing generation uh, in America right now. Uh, See what they're spending their money on. And, you know, that could give you clues to, you know, what companies could benefit in this bull market. Absolutely. And up the Taylor Swift, I have to say. Uh, Josh, outside of Bitcoin, what other crypto assets uh, potentially could grab the limelight? Uh, maybe a Taylor Swift coin if she launches one. <laughs> well, I reckon so. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I think firstly, I'd say, look, try not to be too clever, right? You know, Bitcoin and Ethereum are the king and queen of crypto. So uh, that's the first thing I'd always say to investors. But Bitcoin has outperformed most other altcoins this year, um, which is unusual from crypto cycles. So I wouldn't be surprised to see altcoins sort of catching up next year with a bit more of a, a sort of a broader broader rally. But I think there will be a big focus on use cases starting to sort of come through, especially as blockchain technology matures. And really importantly, VC capital flows back into the space. Uh, VC capital was absolutely sucked out of crypto over the last sort of few years. And I think that will change. There, of course, will be a conversation around AI, as we have so mentioned. Uh, we're talking about layer twos as well. But I think gaming is also an area in the crypto space that I think is getting a lot of attention and may pick up steam heading into 2024. Uh, And going back to VC, it has attracted plenty of VC capital over the years. And, And if we do see VC capital come back, that may be where it heads to. And I think that is sort of reaffirmed by Microsoft's acquisition of Activision. And I think it really shows that gaming um, is booming and is here to stay. Um, But I also wouldn't be surprised to see a resurgence of metaverse conversations um, next year as well after what was a sort of a long winter. And I think Mr. Zuckerberg might be happy if that happens as well. I'm sure he'd have one or two things to say. Ben, at the very beginning of this, I mentioned 2023 had been an unbelievable year for many assets. Uh, For those that haven't been, uh, are there any favorite sort of catch-up sectors or themes for next year that you've got your eyes on if rates are cut? Probably the biggest is real estate. So REITs, uh, it's been one of the worst performers this year. It's really been hit by this sort of double whammy of, you know, surging interest rates on the one hand, but also the sort of work from home, office segment concerns, some more structural concerns on the other. Um, you know, REITs have by far the highest debt loads of, you know, any sector. And that just makes it a classic interest rate sensitive, you know, one. So as we get closer to the sort of mid-year US and European rate cuts, I think you could absolutely see some, you know, relief there. You know, you may want to avoid the sort of structurally challenged office segment, um, but you can. It's under 10% of the US REITs market. There's a lot of other sort of options out there from, you know, residential, industrial, retail hotels, data centers, 
Uh, the list goes on. Thank you very much. And thank you all of you for joining us today and listening. Remember, like, share, subscribe, and also head over to Digest and Invest to get your podcasts, your webinars, your courses. You want it. We've got it. This is the end of 2023, but 2024 is just about to get started. And so are we. Thank you all for joining. You have been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, use eToro.com. This podcast is for information and education purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice, a personal recommendation or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material has been prepared without taking into account any particular recipient's investment objectives or financial situation and has not been prepared in accordance with the legal and regulatory requirements to promote independent research. Past performance is not an indication of future results.